Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 421 of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast, presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hello, Adam. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, <clears throat> about to like cough up a storm. It's very dry in our office. Mm. I've been like sitting behind you the past hour, and I feel like I'm like half coughing, and I I feel like I'm one of those people in the office. It's like, can that guy just? Shut I have up? headphones on. I know you do, but the rest of the so I can't hear you. I always do like this peek up to see, and then like your <laughs> headphones are like teal. Yes, they and, are. And your hair is pink. It so. is. It's pretty obvious. Very obvious. I do think there's somewhere someone. Uh, <laughs> Near where our recording is, who has a dehumidifier of some variety on her desk. Is that what that is? Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, I think that is what that is, which is why It's like a little mini one. It's really <clears throat> cute. Yeah. I, there's <laughs> a been a cactus. Com- or not dehumidifier, humidifier. Humidifier. That's what I meant. Yeah. Humidifier. Yeah, which I could use one of those right now because it's very, very dry around here. But anyway, yeah. Uh, so today's episode is an interview I did with Elizabeth Little, who wrote a book called Pretty as a Picture, which is... Uh, it's a movie director who's really, really like egomaniacal and crazy and has this absurd set for this movie that he's trying to shoot about a murder. And then wouldn't you know it, a murder takes place. And the whole story is told through the eye of the editor who is, it's like briefly mentioned at the beginning, I think, that she has, she's on the spectrum and like that causes her to see the world a little bit differently. And she's sure. extremely analytical and like, it's, it's, it's a, such a good book. It's such a cool mystery. Um, and most of this episode is just her and I. You can tell how big of a film nerd she is. So uh, we just talk about movies for a really, really long time. Sure. And like our respective um, movie, we both took like the history of film mm-hmm. classes in college and um, all that kind of stuff. So really, really fun. Uh, I think you guys really like the conversation. And the book is awesome. It's called Pretty as a Picture. Um and yeah, it's out tomorrow if you listen to this on Monday. Uh, if people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that? They can go to our website, professionalbooknerds.com. You can get all of our social links there. We are on Instagram and Twitter at ProBookNerds, and you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Yes, you can. Uh, also, we will have a link in our show notes. We talked about this. The last couple episodes, Jill and I are both separately helping to raise money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society Man and Woman of the Year Awards that we are not running for, but Jill's dad is and one of my close friends are. Um, The people at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society did us a salad and just made us one link. So, Yes, you don't have to choose. They will split that evenly behind the scenes. Yeah, so that'll be in our show notes. And on our social media and all different places, we'll do like a Twitter post and an Instagram post and all that jazz. Um, have you been reading anything since we last spoke? No. No? That's... no. Well, I'm reading stuff for ALA. So, well, PLA, not ALA, PLA. Yeah. I have a bunch of interviews for PLA, so. Oh, that's right. That's right. I forgot about that. I'm I'm reading all that fun stuff. And you guys will hear all those things. You will. Upon your But again, return. having had interviews canceled at the last second, 
at these shows. I'm not talking about them. Totally fair. Because I don't want to jinx myself. <laughs> yeah. I will say since I, we last since we last did this, I finished Followers by Megan Angelo. Angelo. I think it's Angelo. But uh, a few people like tweeted about it. In fact, I think the publisher did. And they were like, let us know what you think. It was really, really good. It very much is like a Black Mirror. Nice. Um, definitely recommend I that. that when you're talking about that one, yeah. And then The Truants I listened to by Kate Weinberg. I had I had one of those weeks where I had a lot of just mindless things I had to do at the office. So lots of audio. Uh, the Truants is like um, an Agatha Christie style kind of murder mystery um, where somebody ends up dying in the group. I don't want to give it away because I don't die until closer to the end. Um, but the way that the person supposedly kills them is super cool it's very agatha christie so really really good if you're a fan of any of the agatha christie books uh she does a cool thing like part of it is about the the time that agatha christie disappeared and all sorts of fun stuff so um yeah that was really really good that was the truance by uh kate weinberg and yeah um anything else you think people should know about well if you're going to be at pla oh my gosh you can come and visit us I may have to have you edit this later. I believe we are in booth 823. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, while you're talking, I can, I can Um, So I'll be there if you're going to be one of the public librarians uh, at our big party on Wednesday. One, there will be a lot of you. Two, I have bright pink hair. I'm pretty easy to find. You <laughs> cannot miss Jill. She has the best <laughs> my, hair. My sister and I went to go see uh, went to Playhouse Square um, earlier this week, and we were – and, like, there were multiple times where we got separated. And she's like, your hair makes it really easy to find you. So. As I was just thinking. I have we, bright pink hair. We need to do um, 823. You got it right. Yes. I was just thinking we need to do new, like, photos and stuff. We do. So we look at that. I remember, like, the last. I posted a picture of us a few weeks ago or after we got, like, a lot of followers on Instagram. And I was like, hey, we'd like to introduce ourselves. And I looked at it. I was like, this looks nothing like either of us. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, Accurate. When you come back, we'll have some more. Okay. We'll do a photo shoot. Um, yeah, go. I wonder, I don't want to say people should show up to the party if they're not. They don't, don't show up don't, to the party if exactly. you're not on the invite. I'm sorry. I don't, that sounds very rude, y'all. It's a lot. There's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. Also good use of y'all. You're going to be in Nashville. Yeah, well, lots of practice. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. I'm in Kentucky. We had that whole bourbon conversation, we remember? Did. We got the, Rosie's the, the wine uh, people started following us. See, yeah, there you go. I'm telling you. Yeah. Someone tweeted, like, it's really cool to hear about our my local wine shop on the podcast. It's great. Great it's stuff. Al- it's also our local wine spot. It's also our local wine spot. This is two in a row now. Hi, Rosie's. Uh, okay. Anything else? No. Okay, cool. Well, that is just about everything from our end. So I hope you guys enjoyed this interview with Elizabeth Little on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. <laughs> Hey everybody, it's Adam. I'm still here in Philadelphia at ALA, and I'm super excited to be sitting down with Elizabeth Little, who is the Los Angeles Times bestselling and award-winning author of Dear Daughter and two works of nonfiction. 
Uh, her work has appeared in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the LA Review of Books, and her latest novel, Pretty as a Picture, which we're going to talk about right now, comes out February 25th. Elizabeth, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So we always start our podcast by having the author introduce our listeners to their book, so I don't give away too much of the plot. <laughs> so do you mind introducing everyone to Pretty as a Picture? Sure, absolutely. Um, Pretty as a Picture is a book I wrote largely because I live in Los Angeles and am married to someone who works in the film industry. Uh-huh. And I was really annoyed with them. So I was going to, I decided to write a mean comedy murder mystery about the film industry. Oh my God. Uh, that's how we got Pretty as a Picture. It's about a female editor named Marissa Dahl who, go, who travels to an island off the coast of Delaware to work on a movie with a famously demanding director. And it's a dramatization of a real-life murder. And very quickly, she finds herself getting drawn into the real-life investigation of this murder. And then, maybe, more murders happen. Maybe. <laughs> Just maybe. Maybe. I love, Possibly. I love that you must really be able to hold on to an argument for that long to write a book oh, about yeah. this if you're mad at your husband. Oh, yeah. Three years. Yeah, no, wow. I'm, I'm like pro-level grudge holder. What did he think <laughs> of this? He actually really enjoyed it. I mean, it's because it's also a book for movie lovers. I mean, I'm a huge fan of film. And that's one of the weird things about living in Los Angeles Uh is you love movies so much. You're around people who love movies. Mm. But then you're also around the weird, icky business stuff about it. And so you're constantly navigating Uh that, you know, it's it's sort of like all your faves are problematic Uh writ large. I feel like it takes a special kind of passion for film to live there and still be obsessed with it. I feel like it's one or the other because I also have, I have friends who live in Los Angeles and one of them, she is an actress. She's mm-hmm. actually very successful. She's been in a lot of shows and stuff. And same thing, she'll, her and her husband watch screeners all the time and I'm like, you must be, like, you have to be all in on it or completely. It's the same thing with the book world. Like, yeah. You see all the ickiness that goes Right, on. right, exactly. Yeah. Um, there is, I, I'm curious what you think about, the setting is like a big part of this. It's mm-hmm. a specific place that they're at. And I'm curious, does it feel essential to kind of isolate a story mm-hmm. in this day and age now for you as, a, as an author to be able to write this type of book? Yeah, I mean, I think thriller writers have a real challenge these days with technology. Uh-huh. You know, how do you put, keep your characters in real peril mm-hmm. and keep them genuinely in the dark when we have cell phones in our hands where we have like tiny little Sherlock Holmeses we can consult at any moment and it's really you know it, it, it's a real challenge and so yeah I used a little writerly a few tricks uh-huh. to get her away from her phone mm-hmm. to put her on an isolated island yeah. that you can't get off and you know I'll admit that that's a nice a neat little shortcut for me as a storyteller yeah but I think you know as long as I'm up front these are the rules of the game. Yeah. And I hope the readers will come with me on that. But I think the trade-off of that is, like, it's a necessary evil to do to get your characters in a certain situation where a cell phone won't solve a problem. But also, it lends to the environment being almost like a character of the, in the novel. Right. Right. And I think for... I think it, you'd be hard-pressed to find a really successful mystery novel that doesn't have setting playing a, a really important part of it. Uh, and I particularly, I mean, I'm, one of my favorite movies of all time is Clue. Uh-huh. Oh, so, yeah. right. 
Clue, Clue made me who I am, for better or for worse. I can see that. So, <laughs> so I always, you know, what was fun about this book is I got to have a sort of, not quite a haunted mansion, yeah. but something a little bit close, where I could play with those tropes, I could play with those expectations, yeah. and really have a lot of fun with it. I would love you to turn this into a Tim Curry appreciation podcast. Oh my like, god. <laughs> my, my co-host and I talk a lot about Tim Curry. Like, we've had to cut out a lot of Tim Curry <laughs> talk, because it's like... All right, in this episode, Adam and Jill talk again about Tim Curry. He's in both of my favorite movies of all time. Not just Clue, but also The Hunt for Red October. Uh, Where he's the only one doing a Russian accent. Yeah, just (laughs) randomly. Strangely, right before I interviewed you, I did an interview with someone else who I brought up Muppet Treasure Island that Tim Curry is also in. (laughs) Because he's in all the good things. He's in all of the good things. Do you think a story like this could work in a cosmopolitan area? Like... Yeah, I, I absolutely think it could. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm i not sure I would have been able to focus so... Compl- I wouldn't have been able to isolate my character in such a way that allowed me to do a really deep dive into her internal monologue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was something that was really important to me, yeah. to really get a feel for her thought processes and how she experienced the world. And you can only do that when you have sort of a moment, uh, to, a, a pause, a breather, mm-hmm. right? If you're constantly being barraged by sensory input, you're not going to be able to stop and right. let your character rant for a couple of pages. Yeah. <laughs> and so that would, you know, that's definitely a way in which being in a city, having um, a, a more active setting would affect my writing. Well, I feel like this story lends itself so well to a novel as opposed to a visual medium. Obviously, there's visuals that you can very easily shoot this into a screenplay, but because of the way that the main character we have to be in her head mm-hmm. and the way she sees the world yeah yeah you are right and this is something that very much annoys my book to film agent <laughs> i can imagine she's like you couldn't have written something that we could film um <laughs> i mean i think that is for better or for worse one of my preoccupations as a writer is taking a female character and just going real real deep in her thoughts and feelings and memories and how she processes all of those things. And for this book, it was particularly important to me that I create someone who is really differentiated from the lead character of my debut novel. And they're both, both books are very voicey, you know, Mm -hmm. it's a very strong, they're very strong personalities, uh, but they're very, very, very different. And that's something that I think I'm most proud of with this book is Marissa Dahl is very much her own creature. Mm Doing a such like a character study like this, do you find yourself spending a ton? I feel like you're must spend a lot of time like building her out before you even write mm-hmm. word one of a book like this. Is that was it character first or plot first? Or? Yeah, it's always character first for mm-hmm. me. Um, and in fact, I I am a very inefficient writer. <laughs> I end up writing a ton of stuff that I throw out, and yeah. that's because I kind of have to write my way into the character before the story really gets going. Yeah. Um, and you know, I had that experience with your daughter, and with this as well. Is I, I didn't feel like I had anything to grasp onto as a storyteller mm. until, until I captured that voice, mm. right? And there was a moment in each, and actually, both sections became the prologues yeah. to each book, where I really felt like I captured the essence of the character and once I'd figured that out then everything else became clear and became easy but it took me a lot of a lot of stuff I threw out to get there to be honest do you feel that 
a mystery novel has to be driven by characters because I feel like you can conjure up a crazy plot. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I certainly have read many deeply compelling mystery novels that aren't particularly concerned with character, uh-huh. that think of characters more as fun pieces to yeah. be moved along, you know, in a game board. Uh-huh. And I think that can be an incredibly entertaining, mm-hmm. compelling book. Um, it's not, that's not where my skill set lies mm-hmm. necessarily. I'm always, I'm, I use the mystery as a conduit to understand the person. Yeah. And so for me, the murder is sort of a means to an end. Yeah. Whereas I think in other mystery novels, the fun is in figuring out the puzzle yeah. or the twist that comes at the end. And they're all great books. They're just, you know, different flavors. Right, yeah, and exactly what you said about kind of figuring out the twist at the end. That is a very Agatha Christie-esque thing that you're always thinking of. But something that I found interesting, I'm finding interesting about your book and like same thing with like an Agatha Christie novel, I was like, you are making it at a certain point you feel like everyone's guilty at some point <laughs> and that's a very Agatha Christie thing to do like I that had to be intentional like to keep everyone on their toes it, it was it was and what's interesting about this book for me is it's what happens when storytellers have to solve a crime yeah because in our jobs so much of what we do is to you know pitch ideas for stories mm-hmm. Um, and when I'm, you know, brainstorming with fellow writers, we're like, oh, what if this person did it? What if this person was murdered? I was like, what if you take that mindset, but uh, you're applying it to like, a real-life crime? Mm-hmm. How would that skew things? Yeah. Um, and so you have someone who's used to coming up uh, with Hollywood plot twists, <laughs> and then you put them in this real situation. She's like, well, of course I can think of a way anyone could have done it. Yeah. So, okay, so did you have this plot it out in advance then like I we talked about character but the plot of like knowing who is going to be guilty did you know that ahead of time no <laughs> which honestly which probably that probably helps wondering making it feel like everyone is guilty because right you I didn't think, know I think it does I really do and and I think that's true and I think Gillian Flynn has actually said that about some of her books where I, I think particularly with um sharp object she didn't know the end of that yeah and I think if the author actually surprises themselves in the writing mm-hmm. that gets you a long way towards surprising the audience yeah. as well because if you are so certain that you are going to get to one place I think that comes through in the writing a little bit yeah and mystery writers are just so knowledgeable in genre tropes uh-huh. I basically figure it is pointless to try to trick them because they're smarter than I am yeah like there's there's no way I could ever outthink some of the some of these really crafty mystery fans uh-huh. so what I try to do is give them a solution that they'll probably figure out but then make it really satisfying mm-hmm. in the execution yeah. so even if they know what's coming mm-hmm. they can enjoy it unspooling I do that you I, before I had ever interviewed people I never would have guessed this but you are now one of my people a Lee Child and Harlan Coben told us the same thing they're like yeah I write word one and then I write word two and then I see where <laughs> word three takes me and I they say that they try to write their characters and do an absurd thing Mm -hmm. and then write them out of it. Exactly. And uh, to me that just sounds like a nightmare. I'm very much a plotter. (laughs) So to me that I also don't write mysteries uh, but I just can't imagine doing that. It's a talent I don't have. I'm impressed. I mean it's not pleasant and (laughs) (laughs) I I wouldn't recommend it. Uh But you know for me I think that's how you get something that's closer to true, right? Mm-hmm. When you allow your character to develop, wait until they're fully formed, yeah. and then kind of set them loose uh-huh. and see where they take you. Yeah. And it does require 
maybe over-empathizing with one's narrator. Mm -hmm. And luckily, my narrators aren't completely horrific, right? <laughs> I mean, that would be yeah. hard if I were writing, yeah. you know, a serial killer book or something. You know, I have, like, a, a nerdy, introverted female editor. So it wasn't a huge leap, uh -huh. to be honest. Yeah. Um, but I think you discover things in the writing of a book if you if you let yourself fly by the seat of the pants just a little bit. But I also have to have like eight anti-anxiety medications, so like there's a balance, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, you mentioned being married to someone in the film industry mm -hmm. and always being been passionate. Were you? Because there's a lot of like behind the scenes type things in this, and I have the word jargon written down, but I don't like that. It feels like it's a negative connotation. Which yeah, I don't think yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of like behind the scenes things. Were you? ever involved in the film industry before you met your, your husband or is it just through him that you're able to kind of um i entertained a brief desire to become a film critic sure uh and then i went to like one meeting at my college paper and was so intimidated by the like film bros who were there uh -huh. and who were like let's let's really get into david lynch and i was like uh, or bring it on uh -huh. um and so <laughs> But I've always, I've always been a big movie lover. My family loves movies, and so we always watch a ton of them together. Yeah. Um, when I met my husband, it gave me a different perspective on the filmmaking uh -huh. business, certainly, and living in Los Angeles, absolutely, because yeah. you can't, you, in certain parts of town, you can't escape it. You go to a coffee shop to work, and you're surrounded by people who are pitching their uh -huh. screenplays. Um, <laughs> No one else could see Elizabeth roll her eyes <laughs> deeply right there. That's phenomenal. That's great. I mean, to be clear, I am my own kind of monster. Like, yeah. I am absolutely, I'm, I'm sure that people in LA are like, ugh, novelists. <laughs> um, I also actually, when I was in college, I took a film critique type of a class. Because one of my, uh, my brother's best friend, who's kind of like a second big brother to me, went to uh, film school at USC. Mm -hmm. He's still oh, yeah. out there. Um, that's first class service. It's got coffee brought to me. It feels so fancy. Uh, but he went to film school, and like, he was very much my film education. So, like, growing up, when I was 12 years old, I had seen Casablanca mm -hmm. and, you know, just, like, all, like, double indemnity and all these uh, things. That's the best. So I took this class, and I was all excited to be like, I know film. And we started with Birth of a Nation. <laughs> exactly. Just three-plus hours of racist coverage. Yeah, exactly. But because of all the shots and stuff that they used... But then at the end of it, we were watching, like, Blue Valentine. And much mm -hmm. like you said about, like, just, like, film bros who are like, let's talk about this sad movie that gets only sadder. <laughs> like, but here, but what if we, like, watched Clerks by Kevin Smith and just broke down conversation instead? Yeah. I soon felt the exact same way you did where I was like, maybe I just watched these for my own enjoyment. <laughs> um, that wasn't a question. I just no, no, no. I, I, I have a very similar... Actually, like, so favorite movies. Let's just. We'll just oh my let's gosh, my favorite movies. I I mean, like I said, Clue. Of course, yes, yes. And Hunt for Red October, Ghostbusters. The first one. The first one. Yeah. Although I like all of them. I Look, I'm yeah. I'm I'm expansive and yeah. contain multitudes. <laughs> I love them all. Um, I yeah. So when I was a kid, we had a VCR. We got a VCR. I think when I was like five or six, uh -huh. and we only owned. Clue, uh, Murder on the Orient Express, the the, one, the yeah. Albert Finney one, yeah. and um, what else? Oh, Romancing the Stone, which is actually a spectacular movie yeah. that I will talk up to anyone anywhere. Uh -huh. And so for a long time, those were just the movies I watched over and over right. and over again. Um, but 
you know, later I really got into film noir. I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan, huge, uh -huh. huge, huge. Um, Inside Lewin Davis and Fargo and yeah. A Simple Man are all big favorites of mine. So our early days VHS ownership was um, a television recorded Princess Bride, <laughs> which was taped over a Raffi concert. The guy who like read Apples and Bananas, feel, that guy? Yeah. I feel like that's an upgrade, though. Yeah, like, <laughs> that, and then uh, Neverending Story. Those are those are good. Yeah. Those are some so that's solid foundation. It was right good there. foundation, but it was like, it was like the, you'd get that like twangy sound that you would get when you would record a movie. And out. you get the little fuzz on the bottom, oh, and sometimes you try sure. to like adjust the tracking. Just make it worse. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of ours was was recorded in like slow mode uh -huh. where you got like six hours oh so if you only wanted to watch the third movie you had to just sit there and oh fast forward God. through four hours uh, i also remember we my uh my good friend's father was very intimidating like scary gruff man he's a sweetheart but we were terrified of him growing up and he sat us down at like eight years old and i watched the entirety of the good the bad and the ugly oh my gosh <laughs> like a speaking of a six-hour movie just a six-hour western. Yeah, that's a real dad move. Awesome. My my dad always, you know, he had me watch Lawrence of Arabia mm -hmm. really young. I've seen that movie so many times because every time he would get, like, a new speaker, he'd yeah. be like, we got to watch Lawrence of Arabia. Just to get an idea of how it sounds. Exactly. <laughs> he was just visiting me, and our TV broke, so we had to get a new TV, and he spent fully, like, eight hours like adjusting the picture and sound oh, quality, yeah. like, laboriously. Like, yeah. Is this better? Is this better? My father-in-law, um, he buys and sells high-end comic book art for a living. Oh, cool. That's what he does. It's so cool. He's been going to, com to Comic-Con as a vendor for like 35 years. And That's a cool father-in-law. He, he used to own, uh, back when these were a thing, he owned video shops. Like, that you could go rent videos. <laughs> I, love, I love, though, that we do now I legitimately have to, have to, to explain. Describe it, yeah. <laughs> Blockbuster, for all the younger people listening, yeah, was a thing. But because, like, so when... That's how I scored points with him. And we would like sit down when my wife and I were dating, and I'd be at his house, and he'd have this like 60 inch TV, and we'd be watching like, the Reanimator, and I'd be able to tell him what we were watching, and he's like, "You know what this is?" Or like he'd put on one of the like classic Universal Movie Monsters movies, and I'd be like, "Oh my god, fan of the opera, I love this." And he would look at me like, "You've seen this?" I'm like, "Yeah, about a hundred times." And, like that, I feel like that's how that, that's your way. That in. Was yeah, my that's right. Way in, yeah. <laughs> uh, getting back to your book, Jeff, now that we've got our little 10 minute movie sidetrack. Uh, there's also a podcast element, mm -hmm. a true crime podcast element. I am very open with people. To, I, I don't love true crime podcasts myself because I feel like the world is terrible enough I want to read fiction. Mm -hmm. What do you think people's obsession is with? I know. It's a really hard thing to pick apart. Um, and every time I meet people who are really into true crime podcasts, I basically want to like sit down and have therapy with them. <laughs> because I just really, everyone has a different... Thing that draws them to it you know the fans of my favorite murder are there for a very different reason than people who are listening to serial uh -huh. um and i you know i certainly think part of it is the same reason i watch horror films is to and the same reason that like my son will scoot up right up to the edge of the slide before going down it's okay. it's like feeling that proximity to danger mm -hmm. um but still being safe yeah uh there's something both sort of exhilarating and comforting sure about that i mean and i also think that um for women and and for other groups and anyone who sort of has to live with a constant 
a low level awareness or a higher level awareness depending um, of physical violence mm -hmm. there's something about leaning into that mm. and and embracing that knowledge right not trying to deny the fact that you might be that you know you might be in danger of spousal violence or yeah. you know any anything like that and actually trying to sit with what that what that really means in your life yeah so do you think it's like a catharsis like I do I, I do I think I mean again I, I think it's really personal for, mm -hmm. and I, I do think there are some people for whom the armchair detective yeah. stuff is the fun part and yeah. and I'm always a little wary that we never and I, th and I, and I think most podcaster more podcasters are becoming are being careful and mindful of the fact that these are real people these right. are real crimes these are yeah. lives have been lost other lives have been ruined it's you know, really serious yeah. material. Um, you know, it's easy to sensationalize. Yeah, and it's there's a fine line of like profiting off of someone else's pain. Ex exactly. It's, exactly. Yeah. It's always just like I said to me. I feel like the world is so stressful that when I get like I'll have a friend be like you have to watch this documentary and I'm like I'm gonna stop you right there. What is the documentary? Is it bad documentary or, <laughs> or is it like the one coming out on HBO that's like the McDonald's monopoly thing, which I'm all about. That one I'm all. Yeah, there are sometimes. I mean, I and I, I feel like this is even more so the case in the past few years, where we feel just so overwhelmed by the world that it's it's hard to want to invite more of that into our lives. Yeah. Uh, and there are times when I'm like, I'm just going to watch Nailed It. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There's a reason that I'll just go back and watch Veep for like the hundredth <laughs> like, time. Exactly. Like, I, I, I'm aware. It does actually upset me that everyone, I've, like a lot of people I've talked to in politics, are like, no, Veep's actually the closest to what it really is like. And I'm like, oh, don't, <laughs> no, don't tell me that. Tell me that. That bums me out on a visceral, like cellular level. But no, I am very much, I use entertainment for escapism. But I, I'm the same way. I do watch horror. Yeah. I'm a bad horror watcher. I'm like the like hands between my eyes and I get like, so I'm like the person yelling at the TV to break the tension of my own. Right. But there's definitely something that we're reaching for. Something... Yeah you know, really profound and scary that uh -huh. we're voluntarily going to watch a movie about really confronting the inevitability of death. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so, as a reader, are you, do you find yourself reading stress-inducing mysteries, or are huh. you, like, do you stray away? I, when I'm drafting, I actually try not to read mysteries at all. Yeah. Uh, because I know that I'm enough, I, I have enough of, like, a mimicry gene in me yeah. and I just don't I, I want to make sure that I'm doing my own thing mm -hmm. um, so when I'm drafting I either read romance mm -hmm. okay. or I read like dour nonfiction. sure <laughs> I, I'm so sad this isn't a video because <laughs> your facial reactions when you have been saying stuff this whole time is my favorite thing like what type of nonfiction are we talking now that you've called it dour like is there well, one you've enjoyed recently? Um, the Chernobyl book. Okay. Oh right. my gosh. <laughs> Elizabeth, we are different creatures. But, you know, but then I balance that out with, you know, like very frothy, mm. delightful romance novels. Yeah. So, okay. you know, between the two of them, I'm, I'm getting the full gamut of human experience. Oh, amazing. Um, okay, so towards the end of our episodes, we like to do nine lighthearted questions that sure. I call the Nerd Nine. I like alliteration. 
Uh, the first one being, what is the last book you finished reading? What is the last book I finished reading? I will also accept one you're reading right now. Uh, right now I'm reading Jenny Offal's Weather. I am so excited to read that. It's she was, so good. Is that a January release or February? It comes out February 11th, I think. Yeah. yeah. I'm. This is, this is one of the real benefits of being an author, is you can occasionally be like, I would yeah. really like a advanced copy of this Are book. Are you kidding me? Like, two-thirds of the reason we became a podcast is so that we could Absolutely. talk about books early. <laughs> yeah. I don't care about all the promotion and helping people out. I just want to read the book. Yeah, I was just reading it on the train um, to Philadelphia today, and I was on the quiet car, and I was like, I'm going to get kicked off, mm -hmm. because she's so funny. Yeah. I mean, she's also such, like, a beautiful, poignant writer, but... I think she does some of the best jokes yeah. in fiction as well. Um, yesterday, a publicist handed me a book that from one of my favorite authors that I didn't know was coming out and it doesn't come out until September. And she's like, read this, enjoy it, do not tell anyone I just handed <laughs> this to you. And I was like, okay, top secret. Uh, what is your favorite place to read? I like to read In the Dark. Go on. Uh, I don't know why. I just really like reading in the dark. So I read a lot of e-books mm -hmm. on, you know, a lit e-reader. Um, I don't know why. I like feeling as if I'm alone with the book. Yeah, that's fair. Do you remember the book that made you kind of fall in love with reading as a child? I was uh, a very, very early reader. Uh -huh. And so I, rem I actually remember the first book I ever read because I uh, was one of those kids who spontaneously figures out how to read. Amazing. And so I remember one day I decided to go pull a book from my babysitter's bookshelf and I was like, I'm going to look at the pictures. And then I was like, oh, I can, I can read this whole book. I know book. these words. I'm good. Uh, and so that, that book was Hop on Pop. Of course. I still remember. Um, and I, but I moved very quickly into Nancy Drew. And okay. so that was, because yeah. she, she had all of the hardcover with the yellow spine. And so it was, I think, The Secret of the Old Clock or The Hidden Clock. I can't remember the first one. But I think I was, I think I was three when I read that. That's fantastic. And then here we are today. That's amazing. Here, <laughs> fast forward. Right. Uh, do you have, is there one place you like to travel that you have not yet been to? I want to go to Japan. I want to go to Japan so badly. I'm trying to convince my son, who's nine, and everything he loves in the world is from Japan. Uh -huh. And so I keep sort of like pitching it to him. I'm like, there's Nintendo, there's Pokemon, there's Yu-Gi-Oh! It's all there. But he's very fixated on venomous creatures right now. Uh -oh. So he keeps saying like, well, what are the venomous creatures? Uh, Australia. <laughs> Go to Australia. Like, I don't think there's anything. Yeah. I don't. So anyone meets my son, there are no venomous creatures in Japan. You uh, would probably be like a celebrity because you're very tall. They would probably, you'd stick out. I, I stick out, yeah, I stick out pretty much everywhere except yeah. for like I, Sweden. As a person who's married to a very tall lady, <laughs> I appreciate this. Do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? Uh, I'm a big Halloween person, actually. The macabre, I'm understanding, yes. Yeah, I yeah, I just, um, I don't know, my, I think it also helps having a kid. Yeah. And my kid's super into it, and he loves it, and he makes, he gets to pick whatever I dress up as. Fantastic. Um, doesn't work out for well for me, but it's always very amusing for him, and so, I live to make him laugh. So what did you just go, what was this most recent Halloween? Uh, this recent, most recent Halloween was at a, at a, mystery conference actually they planned it over halloween oh, i know jerks. um i was going to be moira rose from schitt's creek uh-huh but um the year before that i was snoopy okay those are two wildly different genres that's because he picked that one yeah, yeah no if he had picked it this year I, I i think i probably would have been kylo ren it had been amazing if your young child was like you should go as moira from schitt's creek i would be the proudest parent if yeah. if my child were like that's my cultural reference oh that's delightful <laughs> Uh, coffee or tea? 
Coffee. It's sitting right in front of you. <laughs> Cats or dogs? Cats. Favorite food? Oh. Startled. I know. Bread. Bread. Is bread. that weird? Bread. No, it is not. No, that's not weird. <laughs> if you were to give me anything, just like bread and a fresh, like, yes. salty cheddar, yes. I would be good to go. I understand that. Uh, last one of these. If you could have dinner with anyone, alive or dead, who would you pick? Alive or dead? Alive oh my gosh. Uh, the entire of human history. Mel Brooks. Oh, that he's in my, like, so mine is Jim Henson, Theodore Geisel, Mel Brooks. That's a solid top three. That's pretty unimpeachable. Like, I, I approve. <laughs> uh, last question for you. What do you hope readers take away from reading your book? I hope that my main character sort of shines a little bit of a light into just the different ways that people can approach the world and think about the world and be moved by the world. And I hope she's an unusual narrator for them to encounter and that she sort of stays with them and they and they think fondly of her. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. That was so much fun. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Rakuten Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.